Sorry for, for those of you um, who might have a different translation tonight. I, I have the NASB tonight with me. I just kind of like the, the version tonight a little bit better. So Isaiah 35 is where we're going to start here tonight. All right, here we go. It's only 10 verses, so we can say we covered a whole entire chapter in Isaiah. It was awesome. All right. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. And the Arabah will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely and will rejoice with rejoicing. Shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with an anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then, everyone say then. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy. For the waters will break forth in the wilderness, and the streams in the Reba. And the scorched earth will land and become a pool. And the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. And a highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way. And fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go upon it. These will not be found there. But the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the, or- of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sign with, with, will flee away. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your scriptures, God, have so many treasures for us, Lord, that they just give us so much depth. And Lord, if we would just would, would dwell in your word and in your presence, God, we, we know that you opened up for us. So we just pray right now that, God, you'd open up this text, this scripture, that you would reveal to us, Lord, how we may better respond to you, how we may better know your intentions, and, Lord, how we may just be infatuated, Lord, with your outcome, not ours. So we just pray, Lord, that you would have your outcome, Lord, that you would serve us and speak to us and minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, tonight, it's about three things. God's intention our response, and his results. You got that? God's intentions, our response, and his results. Can we just repeat that real quick? God's intentions, our response, and his results. Now, Isaiah 35, you look just at this just real quick again. You notice the very first two verses. It says, The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely. I don't know what a crocus is, but it sounds cool. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they sound great. We'll see the glory of the Lord, right? It's like, awesome. That means nothing to me. Sounds kind of weird, right? Well, let me just tell you that this is God's decree. You know, it's like God is saying, here's my intention, is this. It starts off saying, this is my intention. This is what God sees for Israel. And this is verse 3. It says, encourage. Everyone say, encourage. 
Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Now from verses 1 to 2, remember, he's just, he's just saying, this is my decree, this is my intention, my will. And verses 3 through 4, he's, he's commanding us. He's saying, encourage those, tell those that are fearful to fear not. Exhort those who are in the Lord that he will come. And then, verse 5 says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer, and so on and so forth. In the first six verses here, we have a blueprint for God issuing his intention for humanity. He's giving us his instruction. He's saying like, when you encourage, when you do this, when you speak, and then it falls, and the then, then all this will happen. God's intention, our response, his result. And what I want to talk about tonight is I want to talk about how that model flows through our individual lives and how it flows through us here because the great game of Christianity is not not sinning. The, the great call of our lives is not did we do well, but did we respond well? If we just simply go through life and we just say yes to Jesus at the opportunities we have, we will accomplish everything that he wants for us. He doesn't go say, build nine churches. He doesn't go say, go do this. He doesn't say any of that. He just wants us to respond to him in the affirmative. And he's going to own the results. So the first is God's intention. Right? We look at the first two verses here. And I had passed through that all the time. I had no idea. You know? And I really felt led to this verse. I looked through it, and it became apparent to me that God issued a result before he gave the instruction. And that is God's intention. Now, how on earth do we find God's intention for us? How do we know what it... Well, God, is what your intention for me being here? in this job, in this relationship? What, why is there something and not nothing, right? And we look to Romans 12 too. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? We all know that. But here's the other part. So that you will be able to, you will, you will be able to test and approve the will of God. Are you following me? That we transform our minds and then we will be able to test and approve the will of God. Now, what does that mean? And I've heard it talk about that, that, that word approve is kind of like an art critic. An art critic who can look at a piece of amazing art like this, you know? And let's just pretend this is like child scratches. And they can say, oh, I can tell by the curvature of the art and the splash of the paint, this is a 17th century piece of work and it's worth $10 trillion, right? And you're like, it looks like vomit and it looks like, you know, something stupid. I don't get it. But that is like the the metaphor that this is referring to, that we are able to test and approve, that we approve, yes, that is the intention of Christ, when we transform our mind that God gives us his intentions that says, I have an intention for these people, for you in your lifetime, and your job is to say yes or no. And, and just simply yes or no, that yes, that is God's intention. He doesn't give us all these commands. I think the biggest thing for us is knowing where we end and God begins. And most of us struggle at that exact line. God, what is your will? And he's saying, 
just verify if my will is it or not. When we transform our mind, when we open our mind to the scriptures, we ask God for revelation, we ask him to speak to us, we suddenly become the critics and the approvers, the experts, the, the people who examine and look and say, that is the will of God and that is why we have confidence. Amen? So when we have something like last week, we have a, a, an amazing, amazing move of God. The Holy Spirit just came through here, just rocked. We become stewards of what is taking place. We all become partakers. We become, uh, you know, visitors in, in observing, but we also are the, the host. We are stewarding the move of God. Now, if, if the first time that she went up to someone and delivered a prophecy, if all of us, like, got up and, like, left... Like, that wouldn't have been stewarding it very well. But all of us, like, sat there and we just married. We, we felt the move of God, and so we just steward God's presence. We said, we don't care how late it is. God, we're going to be here because we believe that you have something for us. When God's presence moves like that, we become a steward. And as we steward well, he gives us more. The, the parable of the ten talents that I will I'll give the, these men all the same number of, uh, of coins or talents or, or whatever, and each one, they're going to go do different things. And how they, they spend it or invest or what they do with it, that determines if they get more. And God, I think, is asking us just to steward him well. We become hosts of the Holy Spirit when that happens. As we do our part in responding and say, yes, Jesus, come, have your way. He's delighted. He in, in, in encourages us to ask for more. And so that is the season that we're in. As we go through these times and we say, yes, Lord, you came and you touched us and Lord, we want to be the good stewards of your presence and we want more of that. Think of it this way. Think of yourself as like a dinner party host. Maybe somebody is coming over for dinner at your house and you show up, I'm sorry, they show up to your house and they walk through and the first thing they do when they, they come in the door is they trip over like a bag of garbage. And maybe they come in and you sit down with them and, and you give them a plate and on their plate is like a half-eaten chicken wing. And you're like, what? You know, maybe like the music's really loud. Maybe like the floors are all dirty. Like you wouldn't feel like a very good host, right? You'd be like terrified of your guests. You're going to be so embarrassed. And when we, we come into a place like this, we are entertaining. We are the hosts of the Holy Spirit coming in here. We better do our job in becoming better hosts. We have an opportunity to please our guests. We invite Christ in here. We invite him into these places. And think of it as we are entertaining guests. We want to, of course, have the house picked up. We want to have the best meal. We want to do all those different things because we want our host to be pleased and welcomed. Now, why do we not think about that? I love you guys, but sometimes, like, and myself included, we'll come in here and it, it might as well be like the, the bag of garbage we brought. We had a rough day, and we're just like, oh, man, Lord, show up, please, you know. And, and we're not thinking that God comes in here to, to meet with us, that he is our guest, we are his host. I want to come with an expectation that in these times that God's intention is to meet with us, to dine with us, to speak to us, to minister to your heart, to give you words and encouragement and love that you've never experienced before. But I don't know if we ever come with that expectation. 
we really come and we think, man, God's going to show up tonight. I'm ready. I've, I've got myself prepared and my heart ready. Whatever you have, God, give it to me. Maybe some of you do. Praise the Lord. I want to suck less at that. I don't do a very good job of it many times. But when we think about the God of the universe is coming in as our guest and we are his host. How would our worship change? How would our prayer, how would our focus, how would our attitudes coming in change and differ? Together, we make up that banqueting table, all of us. Maybe you're the fork, maybe you're the plate. I mean, all of us, we all, if you think about it, we are all the feast that God comes and delights in. We are created for his good pleasure. We are purposed for his pleasure. Now, what is... God's intention for us. How, how does all of this relate to us? When we talk about God's intention, God's intention is to meet with us in a powerful, awesome way. Now, what on earth, why are we even talking about this? Because I believe that God is shifting his intentions for us. I believe God is allowing us to mature and to crave the newer things that he offers. Matthew nine sixteen says this, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Another wineskins, what is a wineskin? Well, you take a goat, like you take its back leg, you know, and first, you know, Leg is gone. And then you hollow out the leg. You take, like, the skin, and you, like, you seal the end, and uh, you, you seal both ends, and at the, you know, hoof, you know, you have a little spout opening. And what you do is you pour wine in there. <laughs> kind of freaky, right? And, uh, and so you store wine in these wineskins, this goat leg. And you seal it, and what happens over the next four or five months is it ferments, and carbon dioxide begins to release and begins to stretch this goat leg. And the wine is cured in the skin of a goat. And so that is how you make wine back in those days. There's a whole fermenting process now that doesn't use goat legs, hallelujah, now. But, but back in the day, that's how they did it. And so what Jesus is saying is that after the wine has been uh, stretching that goat, like after, because like, like the skin stretches, if you were to take that wine, pour it out, and use an old wine skin and put new wine in it and cork it, when that wine expands, it's going to completely burst the wineskin. So Jesus is saying, for your new outpouring, I need to give you a new skin. I need to give you new capacity for what I want to do in you now. I believe that for us, we're at a turning point where God is asking us to do away with an old wineskin so that we can have the fresh outpouring of his spirit. I believe that God's intention for us is to give us a larger outpouring, but first we need to be aware that there's going to be a new wineskin coming. Because if we begin to operate and do ministry in the same way we've always been doing, we won't be able to contain what he wants. Are you with me? If we do ministry the same way that we always have done and always have experienced, we'll get the same outcome. We've been in a season where God's been doing awesome new things and we're doing things differently, so why should we revert back to the things we used to do? and expect any different results. If you know the definition of, ins- of insanity by Albert Einstein, he says the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Seems so simple, right? It's like, I do that all the time, you know? And Albert Einstein also says that 
When solving a problem, you cannot solve the problem with the same method and mindset used to identify the problem. And so I believe that God calls us to take a look at everything we've been doing, everything that he's done in us, which has been great, and to say, Lord, we're ready for the next chapter. We're ready for the next move. Because our tendency is to always look backwards. If we continue to look backwards in Christ, we're going to miss what he's doing in the present. If we look at our current circumstances and look back, we're going to miss what he wants to do now. Amen? God's intention, our response, his results. Our response. Now, why is it response? Why isn't it God's intention, our labor? You know, God's intention, our effort. I believe God puts so much more emphasis on just responding than doing anything good. God wants us to respond to him with a yes. God is not a genie, right? God doesn't sit there and we don't have like a little, you know, canteen that we kind of rub and the Holy Spirit comes out and like, sweet, all right, so here's what I want. Like, that doesn't happen. When it is our response, it means that it is his will and not ours. God is so gracious to us that he's not going to allow us to be in a mindset where we have a genie mentality of Christ. It's not like room service for the Holy Spirit. We aren't like, yeah, I'll have some revelation over easy, maybe a side of faith, and, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe, you know, a fresh cup of, you know, revelation on the side here or something. You know, like, it doesn't happen that way. You know, we don't have God on command. We steward his presence well, and he gives us what we can apportion at the time. We have a mindset we want, God, do this now, do this now. So our response, let me suggest two things that will make our response to suck. I feel like I can use that word because that's our, I mean, right? Don't we say that all the time? Like, oh, that sucks, you know? Like, my whole entire goal in life is to suck a little bit less every day. (laughs) If I can suck less every single day, then I'm going to have a a great marriage, a business. I'm going to have great things. I just need to be on the pathway to sucking less. And that's what we tell our clients, you know? Like, people ask, are you the best in the business? No, but we'll help you suck less than you are right now. And if we can do that every day, you're going to be a million-dollar business. It's great. And it's true. We, we get so focused on the outcome. Anyways, so two, two suggestions for how our responses might suck. And the first is the fear of man. We think about how should we respond to God? What are the things that are going to hinder us? The fear of man is the epidemic of our day. It is the epidemic of our day. It is... It is the Achilles heel of our faith. Because what Satan wants to do is he wants to use the fear of man to suppress your growth and development. Are you with me? Satan wants to use the fear of man, the fear of like what other people think of you. Satan wants to use that to keep you exactly stagnant where you are. That is his blueprint, that is his his number one ammo is to keep you so terrified from ever advancing forward and making a move is that he can keep you perfectly where he is by just maintaining that fear. The fear of man, the fear, what would people think if I do this? What would people say if I behave that way? What would people think of me when I'm not around if I say this to a friend and encourage them? I mean, don't you have that everywhere you go? You're like, you're paranoid, like, oh man, I don't want to have a conflict with this person and tell them, you know, what I... I feel God's leading me to say because I don't want them to think I'm weird or, you know, maybe like in worship, like, well, I don't want to sing, you know, because only weird people sing or raise their hands or, you know, whatever that is. 
we have this, this crippling effect that God says, I invite you to come forward, but it's going to require you to be a little uncomfortable, just a little bit. And we would rather settle for the safety net of ourselves rather than experience the gift of God if we get a little bit uncomfortable. The fear of man. I saw on Waterbury's Facebook a great quote about this. It says, Some people think they fear nothing because they've reduced their life to accommodate fear. Some people think they fear nothing because they've reduced their life to accommodate fear. Water always flows the path of least resistance. I think by default, unless we're pushing, unless we're stretching, we're going to find ourselves always accommodating our greatest fears and we're going to find ourselves empty. When I was talking about some fears I had, I had a, a guy who's like, you need to memorize Galatians 1.10. He wouldn't even tell me what it was. You know, it's like, oh, really? You know, I got to go look it up. And so I go look it up. And it's, if I am trying to please men, I am not a servant of Christ. And isn't that what it is? The fear of man is trying to please other people, trying to manipulate, trying to position ourselves into position where other people are more pleased. And when we find ourselves trying to please people and being fearful of what they say, we find that we will never take advantage, we'll never advance ever, whether it be our faith or anything of any significance in our life. When faith rules you, when the fear of man rules you, when pleasing others rules you, we talked a few weeks ago about the ruler on your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart, not the works of man rule your heart. When we have that seated on the throne of our heart, we are rendered completely useless. And God's saying, I want you to advance forward because you will never possess anything you are unwilling to pursue. You will never possess anything that you are not willing to pursue. And so maybe God tonight is saying, I've given you great intentions. I've given our community amazing demonstrations. I've given you a pathway to respond for me. But you will never possess that which you do not pursue. It's a call for us to say, God, we want that fresh outpouring. We want to get rid of the old wineskins. We want the new. We want the fresh outpouring. We want the move of God that is, is famous in the area. I hope last week that all these stories, all these people shared about last week, that his name would be famous, not because of a cool thing that happened here, but because Christ made himself manifest to each one of us in a powerful way. We hope that his fame goes beyond these walls in the city. And we say, yes, we want to pursue more, that we want to pursue his presence. And so God is saying, awesome. You want that? You want to possess that? You want my presence to move in that? Then you have to be willing to pursue it because you'll never possess that which you don't pursue. The second thing is living down ourselves. The first thing that will help you suck in your response to God is the fear of man, the pleasing of man. The second thing is living down your former self. You ever like go home and... um. Well, probably a lot of you go home. But I'm, I'm not from here. So uh, I'm from Oregon originally. I have not lived in Oregon for 12 years. I don't know. 10 years? 11? Something like that. I still have an Oregon cell phone. I know. Thank you for pointing it out, everybody who calls me. But when I go home, like I don't like going home as much. You know, I see my family, but I actually don't talk to any of the people I went to high school with or grade school. I have one friend from high school and grade school and kindergarten combined that I connect with. One. 
Why is that? Because I hate the tendency that people want to pull me back into my old self. They want to point out who I was. They want to reminisce about this stupid thing we did. We did stupid things. I don't want to be that guy anymore. You know, and like, I find all these people that, you know, like, even, I'm almost like 30 now, right? And we go home and like, I find myself in the right context of people, even with your own family, like, you recluse back to like the sixth grade immature boy at times. And you're like, why do I do this? It's not who I am. You find that ever in your life that you, you feel that you've grown and you've changed and now you're, you're fighting against your own reputation that you've developed with your own friends. Now, why don't your friends like that? Why don't your friends, you know, want you to change? Because when you grow and you change and it's demonstrated to them, it points out to them their stagnation. It's like everyone, don't move, don't move, don't move. As long as everybody does not advance, we're all fine, right? No. And the moment someone advances out, it's like, oh... You've copped out. You've sold out. You know, all those different things. I was called a traitor for changing high schools in, in high schools. Like, what? Really? Honestly? I went to a better school to get a better education because I want to get into college. And now I go home and I find, like, high school kids, like, pumping my gas. It's like, ooh. You know? And in Oregon, fun fact, you cannot pump your own gas. It's how they provided employment. Everyone, it's like against the law to pump your own gas. It's crazy. But when we advance forward when we take new ground, when we become that other version that God has called us, we begin to battle against everybody else that has seen us in the former state. How about your family? Ooh, wow, you sound like you're in some crazy stuff. I don't know if I like this. You know, oh man, you're saying that Jesus thing. Ooh, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't, I don't know about this. Do you feel it? Or your friends, like, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to go to, you know, church. You're What? I'm going to go to church, you know. Just, it's just something someone told me about. I'm just going to go there and just maybe check it out. They have good food, you know. It's like, no, come on. It's like, I'm going to go to church, dang it. Why? Because Christ lives in me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Therefore, the old self is dead. That person you knew is dead. I'm alive in Christ, and I should be living a life that is worthy of people asking me, why are you the way that you are? We need to be living lives where people like grab you by the collar and it's like, I have to know what makes you different. Tell me, or I'm going to cut you. You know, like, we need to live lives like that. To where your hope, your faith is so undeniably powerful that people have to know. They have to know. I find it all the time, like, in business circles, you'll find some guy that rolls up in like a Bentley or something, and you have this flock of guys like, tell me how you did it, you know. And they're just like, I have to know, you know, was it embezzling? Was it drugs? Like, what was it? I don't care what it is. I just got to know what you did. And like people go to any length in order to find how to get rich quick. It's amazing. There is no way. I can promise you that. But we find ourselves living down the weight of our old selves. When Christ calls us forward, when Christ renews himself in us, we begin to battle against ourselves. Are we going to become the new man or are we going to recluse to the old man? Are we going to respond how Jesus is calling us to respond or are we going to sit back and remain idle because that's what I've always done? Do you see like the challenge that we have before us? When Christ moves in us, there's tension. All the weight in the world is pulling you back saying, don't do that. Don't move. Don't advance. Just stay where you are. Don't move. No one gets hurt. 
you know? I want to be the advancer. I want to be the Matthew eleven twelve. 12. It says that forceful men lay hold of the kingdom and they advance it forcefully. I want to be that guy. You guys saw on the news like the Navy SEALs? Like, holy cow, those guys are crazy. Like, those guys are like the meanest guys on earth. Someone said that, uh, oh man, who was it? You can run and hide, but you'll just die tired. You know, like something like that. It's like Navy SEALs like motto. And I want to be a guy who, who advances and puts the effort forward. I don't want to be trapped by my old self. I'm beating that to a dead horse. Sorry about that. Here's the awesome thing. When we walk into authority, when we've been issued credentials by the Holy Spirit, which all of us have, we have a demand on our lives to operate and to steward that. When God gives you gifting, and it is a, a divine anointed gifting, he has a demand that you use it. Now don't go thinking like building skyscrapers in schools and saving countries. He's saying, if I've given you the word of, of encouragement, I expect that you'd use it. It's like God giving you a Ferrari and you keep it in the garage the entire life and never using it. When God moves, he demands that we exercise it and move it. Is Dante here? There he is. Dante, stand up. Dante, do you have your badge on you? Can you flash that around? Look at this guy. Deputy Sheriff. Yeah, just got it. Can we give this guy a clap? That is no easy feat. Now, he came up to me this past Sunday, and, you know, we do our, like, little you know, hug thing and really complex handshake thing that I do and, you know, all that. And... um. What's amazing is he's the same fun-loving guy that I've always known him to be. I knew him like, I don't know, two years ago, and you're like, I think I want to go into law enforcement. I knew, like, we prayed over there. I remember clearly when he was getting ready to go, and he was going to go through training, and then we prayed again after that about the examinations, the testing, and that he would get in and find work, and now he stands here with the badge and the authority, and he has a job, and he's doing what he set out to do two years ago. He petitioned and fought. Now, he's the same fun-loving guy that I've known him for, for a while, but I would not cross him right now because he's been given the authority to whoop my tail. <laughs> you know, like by law, he can smack me down and enjoy every little lick of it, you know, if I get out of line. I'm not going to mess someone with that kind of authority. And we look at responding to Christ, when we respond, yes, Jesus, implant your will in me, give me your giftings, we suddenly have these badges that say, greater is he who is in me than he of the world. I have the authority to take over the situation that Satan has used for bad and for evil, and I have the authority from heaven on earth to move it and change the circumstances. I have the side of the king with me to move and to live a life differently. I do not have to be enslaved to that bondage. I do not have to be trapped into that addiction. I have the authority of the king. If you need to know that we win, Look in Revelation and read to the end. It's a great story. Everyone loves the upset. It's like Christ pulls it off. We win. Christ has overcome the world. And when we come into this place and we act like we're just all people that have never fought a battle, we're not authorized to do anything. No. When Christ is in you, when he imparts and strengthens you, he's given you authority to do things that you never thought you had authority to do. 
Dante's like, I don't know, eight ounces heavier right now. He's the same guy, but he has an authority to whip some tail. It's awesome. At any given time, he can whip it out. We need to have a mentality that we have been giving badges in the kingdom to live life differently. Amen? Oh, sorry. The, form, the fear of man and our former selves. Those are the, the two things that keep us from responding well. I personally feel it, too. Like, I feel like for Epic Life, we have, we've always been like the event group. We've always done like the crazy things. We go hella skiing. We go snowboarding. We do slip and slides. I mean, you can kind of look at some of the things we do. Like, it's fun. I love it. But now that God has given us a taste of the outpouring, our biggest challenge is fighting against the reputation that we will only go so deep. And me, as a, as a leader and a steward of the gospel and a steward of this audience and, and your hearts, you, you give your hearts into this environment that God would move. And so many times I feel like we, we've, we've seen and known what could be and we settled for less. And because it's fighting against the, the uncomfortability nature that we have. We used to have like a program here. And here's our order of service, you know. And one time we just need to say, God, who cares? Who cares about what time things, you know, start and go? Like, yes, there's protocol, but at the end of the day, we need to be focused on God's presence, responding to him in the right time, and less about, do we have a really good lighting setup? Were the chairs arranged perfectly? You know, what was the vibe? What music was playing? Like, we can focus so much on that. And the challenge right now, I'll be honest with you, is I want so desperately for us to hunger and to experience God's presence is that I feel that we, as a group and as a community, have to fight against where we've come from. We're looking in the past. We're looking at what God did two months ago. We're looking back like it was so much more comfortable then. It was so much more easy to bring my friends then, or whatever that is. When we, when we stop becoming ashamed of the gospel and his power, that's when we receive his presence. And so I tell you and I, I confess to you that a challenge that we have that we are actively pursuing, I, I tell you this in tr- full transparency, that we want to suck less at this is to be more focused on the presence and less results-oriented and finally the results. God's intention, our response, his results. You know what's the best thing about it? is that in that pattern, when we just say yes, when we just respond to him how Jesus would have us respond, he owns all the results. It's his name on it. If we're really seeking his presence, why would I worry about how many butts are in the seats? I shouldn't. If we're really seeking the presence, why should we worry about any detail that we have? If we are stewarding his presence, if we are responding to Jesus how he wants us to respond, then he owns the results. His name is on it. It's his insurance policy. This is not a bunch of inscription. This is not a stack of dead trees. This is a contract between you and the living God. And we find that, we find the power is in here when we respond. And we say, yes, Lord, because I'm going to respond to you, I'm going to be obedient. That you are going to own the results. Isaiah 55, 11 says this. This is amazing. So my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You notice there's no you? It says, when my word goes forth, I guarantee the, the sake of eternity, it will not come back to me empty. How awesome is that? It doesn't matter if you were leading a Bible study with 
three people you pulled off the street in the park. You give them the word. You give them God's word or presence. You know that God has his fingerprint promising that that word is not going to come void. You might not get the privilege of seeing the outcome of it. How many of us are waiting to see the outcome of our fruit of God? God, we did all this work for you. Show us the results. We don't get that privilege. You have no idea the seeds that you're planting right now in your family, in your work, in that colleague you have. You have no idea the seeds that you're planting that will have a harvest when you're long gone. And you are responsible for it. I believe we could open up the veil of eternity and see the significance of the seeds that we plant when we respond to him well that we would be so enamored with being faithful because we know that the results aren't about us. The tendency is for us to want the results. And I get it because I'm in business. I get like metrics of success, revenue numbers. What is our quarterly growth? You know, where's my Gantt chart? You know, I get all of that. I'm totally results driven for sure. But the thing that's kicked my tail the most in ministry is to know that there is a a spiritual fruit metric that is beyond my earthly capacity to see. I have to trust that when God's word is delivered, that he and he alone is responsible for the outcome, not me. We take such comfort in that when we respond knowing that we can't go wrong. When we respond and know that we cannot do anything wrong when we say yes, that God is going to own it. He's going to own the exact results. It doesn't matter if you said yes and it falls flat on its face. It doesn't matter if someone says, man, I, I really need to talk to you about God. I really do. And you're like, awesome. How about we meet on Tuesday at 6 p.m.? And they cancel on you. And like, darn it, but I need to like, you know, you need to know about God. That was my opportunity. I blew it. No. You were faithful. You set up the appointment. You made yourself available. The fact that they cheesed out is on them. You did what you had to do. What God called you to, God called you to say yes. He didn't call you to get over there and get them on their knees and make them feel really bad and then come to Jesus and then come to church and then tithe. He didn't say any of that. No, he says, just respond and I'll own the results. Can I alleviate us all from the burden of showing results for our faith? There's only religion in that. There's no Jesus in showing fruit of our numbers. It is no good if there's 10,000 people in here, which would be cool, or two people, which would be awkward, but still very cool. (laughs) It doesn't matter. I tell you, my, my heart is that we would be bursting out of these doors. I'd love that, but I'm not here for that. I don't have a job to lose, folks. I mean that in the best way. I mean that, that we have the intention for God to move however he wants, and we are committed in this season to continue to move that way. And so I want to encourage you, maybe we have the band come up as I close on this. I want to encourage you guys to think differently about how God is asking us to respond. When we're alleviated from the results, we know that God is not calling us to metric or success. He's not calling us to this very tangible outcome when, when he's like, don't worry about the results, just say yes. You know, like, if, if I came to you and I, I gave you a check, maybe it's like one of those huge novelty checks, right? Like you have the golf tournaments, like that'd be cool. I come and give you a check and it's scribbled, the signature's on it of some billionaire. And I said, do whatever you want. Give this away however you would. How liberally, how like crazy would you go? You go wild because you know that there's unlimited resources in the bank. Now if I asked any one of you to 
pull out your checkbook, scribble your name on it, and go do the same work. You'd be like, ooh, uh, I don't get paid till the 15th. Man, I don't know if I can do this. You know, because you're, you're thinking of, of the limited resources that you have. And you're thinking about the limited resources that you can contribute and the limited result that you can be a part of. But when you know that there's no end to that bank account, when you know there's no check that's going to bounce, how would you live your life? How would you be generous? How would you change the way you think and model when, when you have a source that cannot run dry? We have a source in Jesus that cannot run dry. You can write as many checks as you want. You can put them on the huge novelty checks. His account will never run dry when we are spending the kingdom wealth. Each one of us has been giving kingdom wealth inside of us. When the Spirit comes in us, he dwells in us and he empowers us and we've been giving kingdom wealth and we have an, a responsibility that we begin cutting checks. We begin to impart a little bit of God's presence and peace among us because that will never run dry. Why don't we all stand and let's pray. Before we pray, I just want to give you guys an encouragement. Next week, I'm telling you, we have an awesome group coming next week. We have people, they are... They're going to blow the roof off. We, we want to hear. Well, that's what we're contending for. But we're bringing in hired guns, you know? Like, these people love to serve us, and they're going to blow the roof off. Can I, can I just encourage you guys, please, next week, come as ready as you can for God to do whatever you can in your heart. And I'd ask that for every week, but I'm especially asking after this message that you would prepare your heart to know that God's intention for our group is changing. It's for new levels and new outpourings, new wineskins. That's what we want. And I'm asking you to cognitively tuck away in your heart that we would prepare ourselves for a greater move of God than we have ever known. We might be gone tomorrow. Who knows? Each one of us are in transition. Life could change radically tomorrow. But what I do know is that when we come into a presence and opportunity and we come ready for God, he can multiply his work in us. And so I encourage you guys next week, come ready with a heart that is so prepared for God's move. And come ready on time and come ready, willing to receive. Amen? Yes, yeah. I just want to encourage you guys to just come every week like that. Because these guys that are coming next week and the woman who came last week, I've been around prophetic things for a long time. And I told her afterwards, I have rarely seen a woman or a man minister at that level of accuracy. But you guys, I don't know if you understand the caliber of leaders that you have. Because I've watched God change this man and that woman in such incredible ways. I'm an old guy. I'll, I'll always be the oldest guy in the room, usually. And that's because I love you guys so much. Even if I don't know you, you are the generation that's going to change the world. I truly believe that. You're worth the investment of everything that I have. But I just want to encourage you just to start coming and start seeking God like he is and like she is. Um, you see him a lot more than her. But I guarantee you, if she approached him, he'd stop everything to listen to her because she is his match. You have incredible leaders, 
And I really feel like God is going to do something. It's going to be so amazing. And I'm so excited and so encouraged. So I just encourage you to come on, on Thursdays so expectant that God somehow is going to speak. And he's going to change us and transform our lives and do some really powerful things. So I just I felt like it was just so important to come. Next Thursday will be awesome because they'll come and give us a deposit. But I guarantee you, we have bedrock at the front. And I don't say that because Eric's my friend. Because if you know me well, you know I can't say something that's a lie just to flatter or make you feel good. I say that because it's truth. And we have a father who is so encouraged and loves so much what's happening here. So just come, throw your hearts into worship. Just look at God with all of your heart because he so loves you and he's so excited about what's happening. Amen to that. So Lord, we, uh, God, in the most holy and righteous way, Lord, let us suck less. God, let us not just that, Lord, we want to be just outstanding, amazing, faithful stewards. Not productive stewards, not efficient stewards. Lord, we just want to be faithful stewards. So, Lord, we ask that, God, we would be transformed by our our thinking and our minds, that we would begin to have new levels of understanding of your intentions. God, for all over this room, relationships and families, that people would just be downloaded with God's intentions for people in their life. Maybe it's your own life, God. We just pray that you would open the pipelines, open the faucets. God, let your intentions be known. And God, as you let your intentions be known, even here tonight in this place, Lord, if there needs to be a message that is delivered to somebody, if someone sees something, if someone has a picture or someone's name comes in someone's mind right now, and whatever God is speaking to you about that name right now, that you would be compelled to respond to Jesus and to say, I don't have to own the results of this. It's not me, but Christ in me. So Lord, we just pray for new levels of anointing, new levels of power, new levels, God, of understanding of your will. And Lord, we just ask more than anything, the courage, God, to respond in new ways that we've never been able to respond before. The old man is dead. The fear of man has no fruit. The, the pleasing of man is toxic. God, we just confess that we confess that we are unable, but God, you are able. And so we just pray, Lord, that you would help us in our weakness. God, you are faithful to answer, and we pray that with an earnest heart. And we just say yes, yes, Lord, to that. In total confidence, total peace, total assurance that, Lord, your results are the only thing that matter, not ours. Get us out of the equation, Lord. If we're in the equation, we're going to blow it. Lord, it's got to be you. And we thank you, Lord, that that is how you prefer. We love it. Thank you that we get a steward these times. And we worship you now.